This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Ben. This is an interesting one today. I got to ask, no, when you hear the word fudge, what what do you think of? Inferior chocolate. (laughs) There we go. Uh, Super producer Casey Pegram. What about you? I like fudge, so I'm going to say it is a not a superior chocolate per se, but, you know, it's on equal footing with milk chocolate or dark chocolate or any of the other fine chocolate products Agree that are available. Agree to disagree, my friend. <laughs> I will I will say, like, I, I do have experiences of going to, like, uh, Helen, Georgia and, like, getting fudge there, and it's just too much. It's just yeah. too heavy, and you feel sick for, like, the rest of the day after you consume it. So, moderation. But um, yeah, I like I like a little fudge now and then. I guess my thing is I'm known, by the way. I just don't know what it is. Like, is it's like it's almost chocolate. It's almost caramel. It's bordering on cake. It's just it occupies this liminal space of confections that I just can't quite wrap my head around. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's my take on fudge. It's also a fun substitute word for a naughty word. I like right. that aspect of it. It's funny. We uh, we were supposed to uh, start recording about a half hour ago, but we ended up just shooting the breeze about multiple things, including uh, the most famous use of fudge as a curse word, I think, was in the Christmas story. Uh 
and you're right. I like the phrase liminal space here because I like, maybe like you, Casey, I like many people associate fudge with stuff you would see in like a country store on a rural road trip next to the pepper jelly or whatever. And I think most of us associate fudge with chocolate, but it doesn't have to be, right? There's maple fudge. There's all kinds of fudge. Um, Isn't there like a 70s kind of a southern rock band called Vanilla Fudge? Oh, absolutely there is. <laughs> Anybody that saw um, the Tarantino movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the climax of that movie is a Vanilla Fudge song. No way! What? Oh yeah, my gosh. it's the uh, Set Me Free, Why Don't You Babe, that, that whole thing. Of course. I mean, it's somebody else's song, but it's their version oh, of I it. Oh, I never knew that. And if you go on YouTube and look Ooh. up the live version, it is the most 70s thing you will ever see in your life. It's <laughs> I love it. Well, I love it. <laughs> we've got to stop the show for a second because we have to check out vanilla fudge i can't believe someone beat us to that name we're gonna have to come up with something new for our band but while we're exploring that we have to tell you i don't know about you guys but i just found out that i didn't know anything about fudge like the history of fudge the actual origin story and the genesis of it fudge is first off much more recent invention than i had thought i don't know about you guys and secondly as we're going to find today, fudge was in its heyday associated not with like rural country stores or cracker barrels or whatever, but it was associated instead with a bit of rebellion. Yeah, it's true. I didn't realize it was such a uh, relatively modern invention, too. I assumed it was like developed on the prairie by the pioneers, you know, or even earlier than that. It's just I just assumed fudge had always kind of been, you know, you'd, you'd churn your butter and you'd make your fudge. But that's not the case at all. Um, let's start with a little bit of etymology. Fudge, it, it wasn't the other way around. Fudge wasn't a word derived from the chocolate thing. It was the other way around. Fudge was a verb before it was a confection around the 17th century. Um, it was something you would use to say, oh, I'm going to fudge that, you know, sort of cheat something to the left or to the right a little bit. Like maybe you've got some woodworking that you're doing. I don't know, just an example. And you need to fudge two pieces so they become flush. Uh, that's not a great example. Obviously, I'm not a carpenter. Ben, can you think of a better example of fudging something in the physical sense? Yeah, I think the woodworking example is good. Uh, I think that I don't know how accessible this is to our fellow listeners, but I think the three of us have all fudged a little something in production where we maybe don't have the ideal audio we want, but we're like, uh, we can play with this a little bit. So we've been able to, to fudge around. Um, you know, it's interesting because etymologists now think that fudge came from an older obsolete term, fadge, which sounds like fudge with a weird New England accent. Yeah. F-A-D-G, right? Exactly. F-A-D-G-E with the silent E, which I still don't understand. One of the great mysteries of the English language, the silent E. But that's a story for another day. Yeah, the Oxford English Dictionary, um, there's an article on the invention of fudge on Chowhound, and uh, they refer to that entry where it describes fudge or fadge as meaning to fit together or even the idea of something turning out well. The implication maybe being despite uh, less than ideal circumstances, but the implication is more that 
that it wasn't about a mistake exactly. But we also know that there is at least legend, fudge legend, uh, fudgend about the idea that uh, someone was trying to make a batch of caramels, as I was saying earlier, like what is fudge? And they ended up with fudge um, because fudge contains sugar crystals. And that's actually something that kind of is a no-no in baking for the most mm-hmm. part. You don't want there to be sugar crystals because that can give a grainy kind of texture. And fudge is sort of the exception to that rule. Uh, it's these micro crystals of sugar that give it that firm texture. And they're small enough so that they, they do melt in your mouth and they don't feel weird and sand-like on your tongue, but they melt so quickly that it has sort of a smooth consistency. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of my weirdness with fudge is the consistency. It doesn't act quite like chocolate because the crystals are there. It's a little bigger. So it has more of a, I don't know, gloopy kind of thing. I don't want to neg fudge for anybody, but clearly, yeah. It's it's got almost a paste-like consistency uh for anyone familiar with um the middle eastern north african food halva which is a popular snack it's like that um (laughs) that might not be the best comparison but you're spot on with the weird state and importance of the sugar crystals so in a previous episode we (laughs) we endeavored to clumsily teach you how to whistle. And guys, I listened back to that part. It's it's actually, it was worth it. It was was pretty hilarious. Uh, I I made my kid listen to it. I held the phone up to her ear just during the (laughs) mouth sounds part. And she just made the most offended face, but then she started (laughs) laughing uncontrollably because it's just, it's, I don't know, not to like talk about ourselves, but it is simultaneously disgusting and endearing. You know, for that one, I, I think it's okay for us to talk about ourselves this way because we're not <laughs> saying we did a good job. Uh, the I think the fun part of that was the brilliant fact that none of the three of us pointed out that maybe we shouldn't try to explain how to put fingers in our mouths while we were doing it. <laughs> but uh, but still, it's pretty hilarious. So now we're going to attempt to teach you the secret to cooking fudge. This is with help from the Exploratorium. So uh, now that you've mastered that weird problematic wolf whistle, it's time to begin your fudge career. Uh, like Noel said, you want these crystals to form. Forget all the other stuff you hear about candy. This does not apply to fudge. But you want them to form at a certain time and a certain temperature. So if you want to avoid that gross kind of grainy fudge, it's not so much how you cook it as it is how you cool it. So you'll see a fudge recipe that will call for, just in general, call for heating all the ingredients to 234 degrees Fahrenheit. That's what's called the softball stage where you can kind of mold it. And then you allow it to cool. Don't touch it. Allow it to cool to about 110 degrees Fahrenheit, and then when it hits 110, that's when you start stirring, and you keep stirring and stirring and stirring as the candy becomes thicker and thicker and thicker, and what's happening is every time you stir, you're creating more crystal seeds, and you get lots and lots of tiny ones instead of the big ones, and I think that that goes to the texture you're talking about, right? Yeah, it absolutely does, and you know, if you stir too much, 
you don't get the crystals at all, I guess, or there are so many of them that it doesn't give you the same consistency. Don't stir enough. It becomes grainy and, and unpleasant. So it really is. I mean, honestly, fudge making is kind of an art. You know, it, you have to really keep an eye on the temperature. Uh, it's not something that you can just go in and do without knowing what you're doing. So kudos to all the, the fudge stirs, the fudge. I don't know. What's what's a word for a fudge maker? Fudge enthusiast. I like it. Uh, I like it. But you're right, Casey. I do think about like, you know, the little candy stores on the boardwalk in Savannah or in Helen where you can get a free sample, you know, and you can see their whole assembly line for like making fudge and pralines or saltwater taffy and all that. That's definitely what I think of when I think of this treat. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car is called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your teen enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off the that's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Discover. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. So, yeah, like chocolate caramels could be seen as being kind of the 
progenitor is that the right word or the yeah. precursor i guess to mm-hmm. uh, to to fudge and those have been around since the 1860s we found a recipe uh in an 1870 cookbook from maryland um very very similar process uh so totally understand the notion that fudge was created by fudging this caramel recipe because if you end up with these crystals like we're talking about, which you would not want in a sticky, chewy uh, kind of caramel, you would end up with a little bit more of a crumbly and substantial kind of, like we said, fudgy, really, for lack of, I mean, that's really, it's the best word for it because that's kind of what it is. There's really nothing else quite like it. And that's one theory behind it. Mm -hmm. But we really still aren't quite 100% sure of who truly invented the dessert. What we do know is where it came from, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a college, Vassar University, in 1892. Or thereabouts. Yeah, be not confused, folks. Fudge is uh, marketed in a dishonest way. Fudge is a food of the elite, okay? It's not, (laughs) it wasn't, a case where somebody was selling produce on the side of the road and accidentally also made fudge. No, this comes from a storied institution. Like you said, Noel, uh, the earliest origin of it dates back to a document by one Emmeline Battersby Hartridge. She wrote a letter describing her encounter with fudge, but she says this happened while she was attending classes at Vassar in the 1880s, 1886, but she says there was already fudge in play. There was a store in Baltimore that was selling it for like 40 cents a pound. So we know it originated around that time, but we don't know exactly who invented it. For a long time, Hartridge was credited with inventing the substance fudge, but Vassar itself disagrees. They have an article in their encyclopedia called Vassar Myths and Legends that says, essentially, look, Emmeline Hartridge described fudge. That's the first known written account we have of fudge. But she, in her own letter, said that she got the instructions to make it from someone else. Well, good on Vassar for trying to set the record straight and not just, you know, co-opting fudge for themselves. Because we know that Vassar has a really interesting history when it comes to food. Uh, it was originally a women's college. Now it's a co-ed private school um, that happened in uh, 1969, pretty recently. It was founded in 1861 by Matthew Vassar. Um, very remarkable architecture. Uh, there's a pub on the campus called The Mug for short. Uh, which is the full name is Matthew's Mug, uh, named after the the owner and founder who is a brewer. And Vassar, uh, as many of you will know, is located in one of my favorite cities to say out loud in New York, Poughkeepsie. And it's fun to look at because it looks like it would be spelled Poofkeepsie because it's P-O-U-G-H-K-E-E-P-S-I-E. But it's Poughkeepsie. It's a good one. I'm a Sheboygan man myself, but that's just ah, because yes. of our, our recent episode. <laughs> um you know what? One day, forget it. One day, let's just do a, an episode, perhaps a listener mail episode, where we just read off weird place names. I, I don't know about you guys. It's always hilarious to me when we have someone write in and they're like, you know, that weird cacophonous agglomeration of consonants and vowels that you tried to pronounce is actually pronounced papaloya. And you're mm-hmm. like, no, there's not a P in there. Those are all G's. Anyway, mm-hmm. proper names. There's, so, a, there's another one in like Boston, for example, that's, you know, it looks Peabody, but they say it's Peabody. 
Peabody. Peabody. Mm-hmm. You know, who's to know unless you've heard it spoken or unless you grew up in that area. But, you know, also, our listeners are always super respectful when they correct yeah. us, and we appreciate that. I want to do this before we move on. Um, I don't know about you, Casey, or you, Noel, but being a nerd, I spent uh, the vast majority of things I learn, I learn by reading, which doesn't help with pronunciation, right? Uh, so I want to give a shout out to the person who wrote to us on our I think it was our, our Wolf Whistle episode, and said it's pronounced bosun, not boatswain. So <sighs> we see you, we hear you, <sighs> thank you. It was all of us. Teamwork made the dream. What? That, no, I don't accept that. I reject that. Someone I, made a horrible mistake. They did, but uh, I, mean, come on. I mean, what is a living language but a mixtape of horrible mistakes that we all accepted? But I it's mean, a boat job. It's a job that takes place on a boat. How can you take the boat out of this boat job? It's, yeah, uh, it's weird. There are so many maritime traditions, you know what I mean? And boat swain is pronounced bosun. So, mm there we have it, which uh, All right. I learned something. Anyway, speaking of learning, back to Poughkeepsie. So it's interesting because Vassar has this fascinating history with food, and it exists before fudge. We want to introduce you to one Ellen Swallow Richards, class of 1870, uh, widely acknowledged as America's first professional female chemist. Not the first female chemist, of course, just the first one who had the full-time job doing it. And one thing that she is known for today was a book she wrote called Food as a Factor in Student Life. This convinced the Boston School Committee to change its usual policies about diet. She was so ahead of her time. You know, even I think we've all even in recent years uh, started to understand the link between nutrition and development, especially Mm -hmm. in kids, right? In elementary schools and middle schools. Uh, This goes on when you're in college. And she has a quote. She went to the Women's Congress at the 1893 Chicago's World Fair and raised an excellent point. Uh, I, I don't know. You want to do the honors? Sure. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, because we know that there's a history of college students eating like trash. You know, the idea of like ramen and, and you know, craft macaroni and cheese pervades to this day because it's like a period where you don't really have a lot of money and you're kind of trying to like just make it on what you got. So definitely an argument that continues to be part of uh, student life. Right. Um, and she was really ahead of the curve. So uh, she says the following. A cow is worth to the state. Perhaps $100 a year. A trained mind, $100,000 a year. A nation which so carefully feeds its cattle should take care of its young men and women with promising brains. In fact, the future of our nation may be said to depend on the feeding of the students now in the schools. Yep. Yeah. And that's, I mean, she makes an excellent point, and you make an excellent point as well, Noel. The only thing that I am not with you on is that ramen is amazing. Cheap ramen. I, I want to thank my college days and my like my traveling hobo days, for lack of a better word, for teaching me how amazing ramen is. You put a little sesame oil in that bad boy, well, you get a soft-boiled egg. Well, yeah, of course it tastes good, Ben. I love ramen. <laughs> but the sodium content is like through the roof and the uh, noodles are deep fried. And, you know, it's just like there's really nothing of value in it except unless you, you know, sex it up a little bit and add a little cabbage or a little vegetable yeah. or a soft-boiled egg, like you said. That is the beauty of ramen, though. It's very adaptable. But I don't think that... Uh, Kids in dorms are doing a whole lot of that. That's true. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, that's true. And you make a good point about 
nutrition. I just, I, I just have to go to bat for it. Man, I miss going out to like a, a ramen place. But you're right. You're right. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Discover. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. And Richards has this interest in the science of nutrition. Right now, historians believe this is partially inspired by some classes she took with Vassar's professor of astronomy, Maria Mitchell. Maria Mitchell held weekly gatherings for her classes at her own apartment, which was inside the observatory. How cool is that? And students really looked forward to this time because they would have kind of a social visit, almost a salon, right? They would drink coffee. They would have, you know, cookies and snacks served. And then they would get to meet Professor Mitchell's friends, right? Her fellow intellectuals. 
who included uh, quite prominent activists and forward thinkers like Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Lucy Stone Blackwell. This was a great opportunity for these kids. Mm -hmm. But there's a question. <laughs> was Were they there because they wanted to learn more about the suffrage movement uh, and abolition and other progressive policies? Or were they there because Miss Mitchell's cookies were better fare than they could get normally? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, Vassar has all these great resources, like the encyclopedia we talked about and, and, a, and a very um, intense archive uh, that shows that Hannah Lyman, who's the college's first uh, woman principal, really was into this Victorian idea that women are frail and delicate creatures and need to subsist only on biscuits and bland tea. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, editorializing there a little bit, but the idea that they didn't need any kind of robust flavors or anything or any, you know, hearty um, food. They just needed, the, the word is bland nourishment that, that, that was in the archive. Um, and in 1866, she wrote this letter to Vassar's president and she complained that new students were getting too many packages from home with unhealthy foods and treats. And she wrote this, uh, the short supply and improper selection of food during the first months had the effect of exalting eating into a prominent theme of conversation and of perpetuating a habit I had hoped measurably to eradicate. Love old letters. Uh, of receiving boxes from home. Um, yeah. So mm -hmm. that's where she was coming from. Boxes from home, by the way, is italicized. Exactly. So Pictured as a curse word. Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of us who are in college now or are planning to go to college or have attended uh, know that food is, food has always been more than just nutrition, right? Food is conversation, breaking bread, not for nothing. Do some of the oldest works of literature talk about the importance of eating together? Um, so these students, these kids, some of the best and brightest in the country weren't content to sit around with the equivalent of just, uh, <laughs> I guess, the the plain, non-spiced food. Like we all, look, I'll say it. We all hear that stereotype nowadays about, you know, quote unquote, white people not spicing their food. Not only was this happening at Vassar, but they, they had like a scientific, their perceived scientific basis for that. I don't know. Is that going too far? Like they explicitly say bland food and lack of, uh, spices. They do say that. No yeah. question about it. Okay. Okay. So they said that. We're not making that up. But anyway, in this fertile cultural soil, illicit fudge parties begin. So these kids who, again, are brilliant, they say, look, if we can't get the kind of cool stuff we want, the kind of sweets we want or something, then we'll begin making them for ourselves. And this is very MacGyver. And it's as dangerous as that dryer we were talking about earlier off air. That's an Easter egg for just the three of us, I guess. Um, <laughs> they would take their, their gas lights that they used in their dorms at night, and they would use the gas from the gas light, or they would use spirit lamps from the chemistry lab to heat up these confections, and they would like make fudge 
basically with the stuff they could find in their rumor on campus. Yeah, and great like physical peril uh, to themselves and others. I mean, think about it. They're using these very dangerous like lab items in a dorm that could easily be, you know, what if they get into the throes of fudge ecstasy and they're like dr- fudge drunk and then they knock over a Bunsen burner and the whole place goes up, you know? I'm, I'm just speculating here, but uh, I, surely fudge drunkenness is a thing. But luckily it didn't happen. But it was controversial activity. Uh, these were considered illicit fudge parties. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, hold the fudge. Hold the fudge phone. Casey just pointed something out off mic. But Casey, I feel like you have to you have to be on air. We want to be transparent. You have you have admonished us and quite correctly. You know, it's one of those things where we're we're rounding the, the 30 minute mark and uh the ending is nowhere in sight, so I think we all know what that means. I think it is a, uh, a bifurcated uh, podcast that we're that we're doing right now. And hey, not gonna lie, uh, that is perfectly serendipitous because bo- all three of us, I think, are out on vacation next week. So, it's hey, true. you gotta feed the content monster. And I think this one actually is worthy, much more so than I realized on the uh, on the onset that there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in in fudge, not literally, but just you know, f- historically speaking, sometimes literally though. I think that's a good point. Yeah, we have so much more fudge to get to. We have so much fudge more. to sling. There we go. We have we, we have so much more fudge to, to unpack to, to heat up. Um, this yeah. that we have not yet begun to fudge. It's true. So we are going to make this a two-parter. So please join us for the stunning conclusion to this fudge saga uh, on the next episode of Ridiculous History. In the meantime, huge thanks to Super Producer Casey Pegram, Alex Williams, who composed our theme, and of course, Christopher Hasiotis, here in spirit. Big old thanks to uh, Gabe Uzier, who I will uh, I will title as the Emperor of Fudge uh, in a tangential Wallace Stevens reference. Uh, and big thanks, of course, as always, to our peer podcaster, Eves Jeffcoat. Uh, while you're waiting for part two of our continuing fudge stravaganza, uh, why not check out her show, This Day in History? You can also continue the conversation with your favorite or least favorite fudge recipes on the internet with the the best part of this show, your fellow listeners find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, check out Ridiculous Historians on Facebook. And pro tip, you can find us as individuals if you would if you would like to uh, send us your best worst fudge buns. It's true. You can find me exclusively on Instagram where I am at How Now Noel Brown. And you can find me on Twitter where I'm at Ben Bolin, HSW. You can find me on Instagram where I am at Ben Bolin. Who knows? Maybe I'll try uh, this mashed potato fudge recipe I found and post the results. See you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This episode is brought to you by Discover. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. 
Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills, into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. 